Hey, Green Future Growers. Welcome to Season 4. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. I'm here to help you create, grow, and enjoy your own organic oasis. I hope you'll subscribe for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, January 28, 2022. Tomorrow is my seven-year anniversary, and um, I'm so excited to start season four with an amazing guest today. She wrote the sweetest book, The Garden We Share. So here to tell us all about herself and her book and her garden journey is Zoe Tucker. So welcome to the show, Zoe. Hi, thank you so much, Jackie. It's so nice to be with you today. And congratulations on seven years. That's amazing. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I know, and there's still listeners. There's more listeners than there were when I started. Which is, <laughs> oh, you must be doing, doing something right. So hanging in there. And uh, well, my show is a success completely because of my amazing guests like you. So I guess I should add, like, is it Zoe and not Zoe? It's Zoe, actually. Yeah, it is Zoe. <laughs> That's fine. I go by both. No, not at all. It's absolutely okay. fine. Then yeah. Where are you? Are you on the other side of the world? or where, where? No. I'm in Northwest Montana. Where are you? Located? Oh, wow. Yours sounds brilliant. I'm in um, England. I'm in Brighton on the south coast of England. Um, currently sitting in my two up, two down Victorian terrace house which becomes very important in our conversation later. Oh my gosh. I was actually just looking at like um, hostels and apartments and places to stay in London because this friend of mine is there right now. And I was like, oh, how fun would it be to go visit? But I don't know, like some of the places were saying like you had to have proof of like emergency travel, like you couldn't go. So I don't know if London's under that. And there's so many amazing gardeners that I interviewed last year and that like I'm dying to go see Charles... Um, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get a blank on his last name right now. <laughs> it's not Darwin, Charles. Uh, uh, anyway, um, what, what, how far is Brighton from London? So it's about, um, I don't know it in miles, but all I do know is it's about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes on the train and we're directly south. So it's a really popular place to live if you work in London, which is kind of how I came to be here. I lived in London um, for probably about seven or eight years after college and then yeah decided London London is great but I wanted to be by the sea I grew up by the sea and I wanted to get back to being on the coast so this was the perfect spot for me so I've been here just uh, about 18 years now and I definitely call it my home it's a really um it's a really fun city to be in because it's quite a creative bohemian city with there's always lots of stuff going on and lots of creative things to get involved in so it really works for me oh goodness do you guys get snow there ever occasionally but very very rarely i i mean because we're so close to the coast not so much but we have had a couple of good snow days definitely not like you do do you know i grew up um i spent three and a half four years when i was very small in new hampshire and i remember the snow when i was a kid in new hampshire and it was you know, the three, four months of the year, ice skating on the driveway and being in a snowsuit a lot of the time. It was great. Mm-hmm. We don't get snow like that. Uh, so I always do start off the show asking about your very gar- first garden experience. Like, who were you with? What did you grow? Like, what do you remember? Was it in well, New Hampshire? 
so yeah do you know I was thinking about this like my first garden experience is definitely I would definitely associate it with my dad he's a very keen gardener and in fact I found this book that I did at kindergarten in New Hampshire and I drew a picture of my dad in the garden and he's he's still into it now he has a much smaller garden he's retired um, and he lives by the river um, so we're obviously a water family but he has a small garden but he still takes a really keen interest so I think my first experience of gardening would be with him um, I wouldn't say you're gonna love this I don't have a garden because I live in the city um, currently but he's always made it so that I have pots little pots of um, flowers and things to grow even when I lived in London I had this tiny balcony off my flat off the kitchen and he just came along and put two or three planters down and put some beautiful nasturtiums in there so they trailed out over the over the balcony and uh, I never managed to look after it as well as my dad but he definitely tries for me oh <laughs> that's inspiring I think to a lot of my listeners you know your publicist said you wanted to talk about an urban garden like is that what you wanted to talk about or was there something else yeah no I think you want to talk about like community garden well tell us about your book okay so I've written the book the garden we share and I this book is really really close to my heart and I just I suppose I should tell you how it came about um my friend Marie invited me to go to a seed swap do you have those in America we do of course they've all been virtual for the last couple of years because of the pandemic but no we have an awesome one here in montana i've met so many great uh friends i'd never i never went to one before and um like i say i don't i don't have a garden but my friend marie has a small garden and she said come with me and it just sounded like a really nice day out so off we went and i have to say it was just brilliant it was such an amazing community vibe everything essentially the seed swap is free there was a small donation if you didn't have anything to swap but i came home with a handful of these tiny brown envelopes and each envelope was saved or wrapped by the gardener that had saved the seeds and i had some cut and grow lettuce various different types of heritage tomatoes aubergines courgettes which i think you call zucchinis um and some flowers but i don't have a garden so that really kind of prompted me to go and get some pots for our front step so i mentioned to you that we're in a victorian terraced house and we so the only bit of outside space we we have is the front path and the steps up to the door and so i put all the pots down the side of the steps and i honestly i honestly didn't think anything would grow but my friend Marie, she was like, just give it a go, see what happens, you might be surprised. And it was brilliant. And through that spring and summer, you know, within a few weeks, as you know, you start to see the shoots and things start to grow. And through the summer, we, my husband and I would enjoy sitting on the front step. We have a very sunny aspect. And we would, in the evening, we would sit with a beer on the front step and we'd look at these pots. Um, at the same time, my brother-in-law was very very ill and we I think there was such a comfort for us at that time sitting together we would talk about Matt but we would also look at 
the flowers and look at the way everything kept growing and I was really struck by that kind of connection with nature the fact that life it, it was kind of a mirrored our life like life keeps growing life nature prevails and it gave us a bit of joy and a bit of hope at a really dark time through our grief and those were the two threads that prompted me to write the garden we share and on the back of the book there has a, a quote that says the seeds I hold in my hand remind me of your garden each one grown with care and filled with love and I remember those lines came to me immediately they, there was they were the first things I wrote about the story and so yeah that's kind of where the idea came from it's a reflection of life and community and hope and there is uh, grief and how we can keep the memory of our loved ones alive within what we do every day with our loved ones. Oh, listeners are going to be crying. That's a great <laughs> thing for children too, because I am an elementary school teacher by trade. And, you know, you always have kids in your classroom who have lost a parent or have a relative who's in the hospital or is ill or who's going through that. And mm. to have a book that you can read to them is just priceless. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's a tricky subject to to write about, but I hope that within it, I hope within the book, there's an opportunity for parents to open up some of those conversations that are quite difficult. And I hope that it comes from a point of optimism about ways in which, you know, you build a community around you and you share your knowledge, your experience, your love, and that goes with gardening or making something whether it's cooking or it's saving your seeds but it also goes with that life experience of losing somebody as well do you want to tell us about some of the characters that that occur in the book yeah sure so it's written from the perspective of the little girl she arrives at the garden and it's really it's her grandma or an older figure and we when I wrote the book, again, I really wrote it from the heart. So I wasn't really picturing what the end result would be in the illustrations. Um, but the illustrations were very much, it shows we're very much in a community garden, in an urban setting. And um, the little girl is with three older ladies. And I love these ladies, Jackie, because they are, they're just super cool. I don't know if you've seen them in the pictures. They're just really aspirational. <laughs> and really cool, just cool older ladies. I don't know another way to put it. Um, and they take, you know, they show the little girl, they plant the seeds, they nurture them, they talk to the, the garden, they, they sort of whisper their hopes and dreams to the plants as they grow. And it's, um, these, these three older ladies take the little girl all the way through the book. But at some point in autumn and winter, the grandmother dies and the other ladies begin the garden again with her. So it's that cycle of life through the seasons, but having these women around her. I did, I did, I, I mean, I saw a few of the pictures online of some of the ladies and I think that they, they definitely have that, like you can picture, you know, someone in your life, you know, even if they don't look anything like that. I mean, my grandmother yeah. certainly looked very different and, and didn't really garden at all. My mom's the gardener. But, okay. um, but I think just that, you know, feeling of being around, you know, nurturing adults is, is a common thread that a lot of people share. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely love that. And I think 
I mean, I was, um, I was thinking about what they represent to me and they represent my, my mum wasn't the gardener, but I, I think my experience of loss and grief there has kind of come into the book. Um, but I have to, I have to give a shout out to my mother-in-law who's just amazing. She's 82. She looks a sprightly 70. She's really, um, she's really bright and intelligent and she always takes such a fantastic interest in what we're doing and what our daughter's doing and she always wants to learn from us but at the same time she's so generous with her knowledge and her life experience and I think that's something that we can all benefit from that sharing of knowledge between the generations and we're kind of excited by that I hope, yeah, I hope that comes across quite well. <laughs> well, I think one of the interesting things on my podcast is that many of my guests have shared that their passion for gardening came from spending time in the garden with their grandparents. And I always remind listeners that if you are the grandparent or the parent trying to share with your child and your child is, you know, resisting and they're like, I don't want to go in the garden, I, you know, I don't want to, just like a lot of my guests who have grown up to become either like you know they grow almost all the food for their family or they're a now a market farmer or even like me my mom's like I don't understand how you came out with a garden podcast I didn't want to have anything to do with the garden but when I was a kid but that it's just sharing that passion and just always like you know and just the time spent with the child you know don't feel like it's a waste and don't get frustrated because the kids all like almost everybody or a lot of my guests have said that that was where it started for them and even though they like you know took 10 or 15 or 20 years away um when they got back to it it was because of spending time with a grandparent or or a parent in the garden yeah so I a think lot that's of grandparents for sure yeah i think that's really beautiful and i know that i mean it sounds a cheesy way of putting it but that anything that we sort of sow into our children's lives whether it's art or gardening or music and they kind of take it up for a few years and then they drift away from it it definitely does come back later in life my um, stepdaughter is going to be 27 next week and I've definitely felt that with her when I met my husband she was nine and I feel like some of the things she did as a young girl are now she's really embracing those now as a as a young woman it's wonderful to see Oh, that's something else we have in common. My stepdaughters were nine and 13, I think, when Mike and I got married. And now my grandkids are in their 20s. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Oh, oh it's really so. exciting. I really, um, yeah, I think sharing, sharing between the generations is, is such a nice feeling. And I, I, I don't know if you had this with your children, but I think when you're doing something together, like gardening or being in nature together and you're walking you're able to talk about some of those tricky subjects you know like when you're not just sat across the dinner table staring at each other but you're actually doing something else yes. in life you're able to kind of navigate through some of life's challenges without it being such a big deal and and it's like the garden is like one of the places that we can all come together and the grandkids love like I always send the pictures of like when the carrots are ready or like when the peas are ready in the um because usually the the sweet peas are you know ready first the sugar snaps 
they come for the 4th of July and then when they can finally harvest the carrots in the fall and just mm. something they always remember is being in grandpa's garden with him and and those memories I think will um you know they'll cherish oh definitely I still save up empty jam jars to give to my dad Aww. because he so one of my memories is definitely picking blackberries in the garden and blackcurrants in the garden to make jam he did all of it I mean my dad is a great cook and he obviously enjoyed his garden and I think that's a definite happy memory is picking picking fruits and uh and eating them, half of them, before they even get in the bowl and making something <laughs> wonderful from it. And, you know, a couple of years ago, like two years ago, in the first lockdown, uh, obviously pandemic lockdown, um, we went up, just when we were allowed, finally allowed out, we went to visit my mother-in-law. And they have a, they do have a garden, which I'm deeply envious of. And at the end of the garden, they've created just a small raised bed where they grow um, some spinach, shard, potatoes, um, like really kind of straightforward, simple vegetables, uh, occasionally beans. And they said to me, would I like to dig potatoes? And I've never done that before in my life. And it's like magic, isn't it? When they come out through the ground, it's like, oh my goodness. It's like buried treasure when they, you just turn the soil and they just pop up. I'm like, oh, amazing. I look forward to having a garden like that of my own one day yeah and you never you never forget like I remember the very first time we did that when we were on vacation when we were kids up in Vermont this um teacher friend of my mom's had invited us up to come visit and she we got there late and she's like oh well we'll have hamburgers and we're gonna go out in the back and we're gonna pick you know we're gonna dig up the care uh the potatoes and the beets and like there was nothing I ever tasted as good as like I can still oh, remember it here 50 yeah. almost 50 years later you know yeah. those picking those vegetables out of the garden just like you're describing it's, it's, it's so true I think that's possibly been the most satisfying part of growing things on the doorstep I mean we live in the city we have a very very limited space and I think my friend Marie just kind of giving me this opportunity and saying, just try it, you know, so what if it doesn't work? And the things that have really done well for us are um, really simple. They're very quick. They're crowd pleasers. Cut and grow lettuce is amazing. You put the seeds in and literally four days later they've started. And within two weeks you can just cut a salad. And it was, I think that was just a revelation instead of buying bags of salad in the, in the supermarket. And then we managed to grow lots of different types of tomatoes and we had a little pot for each different type. And I remember making a salad and we had courgettes and we made courgette fritters. And my husband said, did we get all of this from the front step? And we did. And it was, it was such a tiny space, but being able to actually create a meal from what you've grown, albeit I can't create a meal every night, but it was really special, the ones that we did make. Do you grow any herbs in your pot? Well, funnily enough, I do, I've tried. I'm not great at herbs, I have to say. Um, my brother-in-law is a brilliant gardener as well. He was saying to me this year, that's a really good thing for me to try because I really enjoy cooking. And it, it's something that's every day that would really transform my cooking. So I've done quite well with the more hardy, like a rosemary type wooded herb. 
I'm really bad with the more delicate ones. The, the step, the area that we have in the summertime is really, if we have a good summer, it's really, really hot. And growing in pots, you know, it's just so easy for them to dry out. So I've struggled a little bit where things yes. dry out. I know that. <laughs> I know. Um, but don't, like, I, I, don't beat yourself up or anything. Because one, herbs are actually fairly hard to grow. And okay. I'm like jealous because rosemary is one of the ones that I struggle with without a doubt the most. And I'm laughing because my friend who's actually in London right now um, was here last summer and like I had potted a bunch of herbs for her. And she like the day I finally brought them over to her house, um, she called me and she's like a couple of days later, she's like, my rosemary's dying. And like, I'm all worried. What am I doing wrong? And I'm like, you know, just sometimes plants just I was like my rosemary's dead too like I potted her one the same day I potted me like I went to the farmer's market and got us both some herbs I was like mine Aww. are dead too like just it happens and sometimes you know or the other thing that I've been like learning since I've had my podcast is like I've always struggled to grow cilantro and finally mm. after talking to enough of my guests I figured out that part of the problem is cilantro really only grows once like i'm expecting it to like you know i'm gonna prune it like my basil plant yeah growing and cilantro doesn't do that like you get a harvest and you need to like do succession planting where you're constantly just putting new seeds in the ground i'm not it's not going to keep growing like my basil plant and then that's um, really interesting i did try a bit of that with and i tried parsley and i tried to mix it in with my cut and grow lettuce and I had same thing. I mean, cut and grow lettuce, it does kind of keep going, but you do need to kind of plant in cycles. So you put some in one week and then the next week you'll chuck a few more in. This is my controlled gardening. Um, but yeah, the parsley didn't, it was, it was confused and difficult and didn't, yeah, it didn't come back. I don't think it was a satisfying experience for me. The other thing I should say about my cut and grow lettuce, this year we had a very wet summer and which it did well but we came home at one point and i'd noticed on the leaves on the underside of the leaves these tiny tiny little dots everywhere and i was like oh i wonder what those are and we did we came home one day and honestly they just made caterpillars and the caterpillars then went into the cocoon and they were all around the front door and then they went into butterflies so whilst i didn't get oh. to enjoy my salad i feel like i gave back to the environment in a different way by creating lots of butterflies and caterpillars oh is that story in the book no it's <laughs> not wondering. actually <laughs> i know because that's probably after the book was written in at the public yeah place. but um but wouldn't that that could be book too uh, that can be book too definitely that's such a great story and just um and i think those are like so important lessons because again like i was saying like my friend was like i've talked to several people that are like so devastated and like even when i first started my podcast i was like i'm the organic eater i can barely keep a basil plant alive you know and <laughs> and just i've learned so much that i can keep quite a bit alive now mm. and there's herbs that i love and grow really well and there's herbs that i just keep struggling with but i keep trying and i go to the farmer's market and i buy a new one and i'm like all right this is going to grow or i go to the like you know produce section and and plant it in the middle of winter and i'm like this is going to grow but you know the one thing about that is it might you know it might last longer than it did in your fridge and then you can always dry 
like even if it does die you can you know dry you can take the dead rosemary leaves and like put them in a jar yes. and then you'll have dried rosemary which this friend of mine and I were actually talking about how it takes a lot more fresh basil to give flavor like if you're flavoring a stew or a soup or something oh. it does have dried basil anyway so sometimes you're almost better off that way yeah that's so true so here I mean rosemary grows so easily here that despite the fact that if I do have a pot on the front step that's great but if I don't all I need to do is walk around the block and I can find someone's so there's they grow like huge bushes in the front of the garden and you can just pinch a little sprig or two and it's fine for your roast dinner or the weekend oh, urban rosemary, like and your potatoes <laughs> are in your meal like it, it just I love the taste of fresh rosemary yeah I use thyme a lot as well. I feel like that's one I should grow. I use it a lot in my cooking and in soups and stews and things. So thyme grows try. like a weed in my garden. It like oh, okay. grows all over the rocks and just um and, and is everywhere. Thyme and oregano are two that spread out like crazy. I kind of oh. do okay with sage sometimes. I mm -hmm. had this one giant sage plant and ever since it just finally died one year and I've, I haven't quite gotten anything else to take off quite as big as it was, but, and then I have a pretty big tarragon plant, but everything else, Ooh. as far as herbs go, I struggle. Lavender, I cannot keep lavender. Why I was just going to ask you about that. I, my yeah. husband loves lavender and we periodically go and buy a lavender bush and it, I cannot keep it alive. But I think again, it's, it doesn't like being in a pot. I think it actually likes to be in the ground and you must never ever let it dry out. Oh, and see, well, that's, that's what I've heard. My listeners are laughing because they're like, because they know like my biggest <laughs> challenge is watering. And that's one reason I struggle with pots because they do dry out faster than even deep beds dry out faster than, um, you know, just like planting right in the ground. Yeah. And that is something we have a shortage of water. And then just me remember, like, I'm always like, what? I watered yesterday. My husband's always like, you have to water every day. Sometimes you have to oh, water yeah. twice in the summer, you know? Yeah, I do remember my dad doing that in high summer. My dad would water in the morning before the sun got high and then in the evening again. Um, and I have to say, in the first, so I had a really successful year, a few years actually. But definitely, the, again, the first lockdown was like a revelation because I wasn't traveling up and down to London for work. I was back, I was at home working from home and our day to day just became quite small and local. And we had time and we spent, we had an amazing summer here. I think that was a godsend for us in the UK where we can have very, very wet summers. We had, despite being in quite a long period of lockdown, we had this beautiful hot summer so we actually spent all this time sitting on the front step which meant that we watered the plants regularly because we were sat looking at them then this year my work has been really busy and I just haven't I just haven't been as good at it but I'm feeling quite inspired to have another go so I think maybe I think tomatoes are a definite for me and herbs and the salad are they're really good for pots so I think that's my plan for this year Salads are really good in containers. My question is like, what do you use to water? Like, do you have a hose right on the porch that's <laughs> convenient? Or do you have to like fill up a, a watering can or like what's your watering situation? Can like? you picture can you picture a British milk bottle? Yeah. It's like it's like a pint bottle. I'll probably use a milk bottle and just go back and forth to my kitchen over and over. I did have a watering can, but it, it got nicked. 
urban living, it got nicked and I left it on the front step. So that's fair enough. But um, yeah, just a milk bottle. Yes. Yeah. It got, it. yeah. Yes. Stolen. Um, or just repurposed by someone else, taken somewhere else to a new home. But yeah, a milk bottle. Like that, <laughs> oh, why worry? It's only a watering can. It's okay. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's not really, I mean, we're talking a very small area. I'm sure um, some of your listeners will picture a Victorian terraced house. Um, and you can Google uh, Brighton Victorian Terrace and you'll get these rows and rows of white houses. They're very pretty, but they're not very big. Um, but I think, you know, that's one of the things that's been so good is learning that even in the smallest space, you can grow something. I think that's really liberating. Even if you're just, um, you've just got a window, a windowsill that you can put something on, you can still grow some herbs. Yeah, for sure. And and I think, like, they're the best things to grow. <laughs> because, <laughs> like I said, I'm the organic eater and, and cooker. You know, I cook a lot of food and, and there's nothing like cooking with fresh herbs and some mm. Or making like salads, like having, you know, because it, it'll make like every single salad will have like a little bit of difference depending on like if you cut a little more tarragon one day or a little more oregano the next day, like it can it can really change the flavors of your salad. Oh, yeah. So I'm curious to know, like one of the questions I always ask is like, do you have a favorite tool for planting in pots or anything that you couldn't live without? No, but I tell you what, I do need a cushion to kneel on when I'm doing it because <laughs> you're just on concrete on the you know terracotta tiles outside so definitely a comfy cushion and no I don't have any special tools I'm pretty low maintenance on all of that um I wish I was better I do like a bamboo cane to help train my tomato plants um that's it really it's really low rent <laughs> I like that yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about today that we haven't touched on? Um, I think I think this is good. I, you know, I hope that um, I hope it's been interesting for your listeners. It's been really lovely, and um, yeah, I hope the book strikes a bit of hope and inspiration for people and gets that community spirit going. Now, do you have a website? Where do people get your books? Oh, so, um, yes, you can get your, uh, you can order the book from any good book seller, bookshop. Um, my website is, um, you can find me on Instagram on Zoe Tucker Design, which is, because um, I'm a designer, and you'll find links to my website through that as well. Okay, everybody, get your copy of The Garden We Share, and then make sure you leave a five-star review on Amazon or wherever your favorite bookseller is so other people will get it and share it because it's lovely, and you can buy it for someone, for your favorite reader, for like Mother's Day or Earth Day or their birthday or... It's just a beautiful book and I know you're going to love it as much as I do. So thank you so much for sharing with us today, Zoe. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful. And um, I look forward to hearing the podcast in the future. I'm going to be checking in, hearing what you're talking about. And thanks for giving me some tips on my garden, my tiny garden. Well, you're very welcome. And maybe, who knows, someday I will actually make it across the pond and over to London and Brighton and we can meet in person and 
and share some garden something or another together. That would be so nice. Yes, please. If you do make it over, I expect you to let me know. Okay, <laughs> I will for sure. Like I, I've been telling my mom, Charles Dowding. That's who it is. Oh, um, okay. We need to go and do like a tour because, like, who else did I interview? Pauline, Pauline Pears, and um, the Contented Vegan Peggy Brousseau, and just like I have like a whole list of oh of yeah. gardeners I can come visit now, and I just. Uh, I've been the I've been like I'm totally like this morning on my exercise bike I watched this YouTube video of this woman it's called Alice in Paris that I just love and I'm dying oh. to go back to Paris and when I went last time I was supposed to go to London because the people who my website provider is actually based in London and I was going to go meet him and some other oh, friends yeah. and um I didn't make it but next time I go I'm I'm definitely going to try harder so I think I think that sounds great you should definitely time it for um something like the Chelsea Flower Show which is an annual garden show here and it's absolutely stunning and um, the other thing I think you should look up I have this book called The Edible Garden by Alice Fowler which is A-L-Y-S um, Fowler is F-O-W-L-E-R and it's really lovely because it's kind of a very relaxed style of gardening and she, she talks about it's perfect for me because there's a little bit in it about growing in a small space but she also talks about a more established garden and she has this um, style of gardening where she mixes the flowers and the vegetables and everything all in together so it looks quite wild and quite free I think you might like that check it out all right I will for sure you just have to tell my listeners really quick about that book <laughs> okay Greta and the Giants inspired by Greta Thunberg stand to save the world tell us about that book Zoe well, that was, um, I wrote the book, I wrote the, I wrote the story originally um, for a teaching tool for an illustration course that I co-teach. And similarly to The Garden We Share, I pulled on a couple of things that were going on in my world. So I was, at the time, there was lots of protest in Brighton, um, as there was across the world about climate change. And I was thinking what what does it feel like to be in a protest like that if you're a very small child? Is it exciting? Is it scary? Is it um, exhilarating? And then I started to think who was doing it in a positive way. And Greta Thunberg is, she's just, her, her one woman climate change moment is just fantastic. I just think that one moment of bravery when she just decided to sit down outside the Swedish parliament and make a protest has just spread out across the whole world and it's um it's empowering i think for young people and it's aspirational for very small children so that was kind of the roots of where it began and i wrote the story i sent the text to a friend of mine who is a publisher and i said honestly wrote it like is this i quite like this story is it any good and she wrote back and said let's do it so um yeah we did the book and we had Greta's blessing, but the best bit was Greta said, you can do it, but only if you work with Greenpeace. And so we had Greenpeace support us in how we made and produced the book. And the book is printed in 27 languages around the world. And each printing is done in a way that we call, we call it local printing. So it's printed in an environmentally sustainable way or as environmentally sustainable as we can make it at the moment. It's um, got water-based inks, 
the paper is 100% recycled, and the factories that have produced the book are, where possible, um, endorsed by Greenpeace or is it 360.org or 350.org in America, I think, is the 350 charity? 350.org. 350.org. So it adheres to their standard of printing. Um, so that was, for me, really exciting because I've worked in publishing a very long time and we kind of changed the model of how we produced the book. So um, it became a much more sustainable solution. And actually, I was surprised. I think um, North South, who did The Garden We Share, they've also produced the book in a climate neutral way. So I feel like this is something that's changing in our industry, which is really so refreshing to see. So yeah, that's how the book came about. And I couldn't, I genuinely like, I wrote the story and I honestly could not have imagined that it would have reached so many places around the world. And I've had letters from people in Japan and New Zealand, Australia, Brazil. I've been on a Brazilian podcast um, as well, which is really fun. It's been crazy. And it's just, I, I'm just really excited that it sort of taps into the environment and it hopefully gives children a way to connect to nature. That does seem to be a theme currently in my work is trying to get children to connect with their world and the community and nature, which is the same as the garden we share i guess in in that respect absolutely well i just ordered my copy i can't wait to read it i just ordered a book that i thought was like a book that she had written i was like when did Greta write a book and i get it and it, it's just like her speeches that somebody else had put oh. together in a book, which is fine but you know it just wasn't what i thought it was going to be but i can't wait to read this and i'm gonna put my review on instagram and Amazon as soon as I get it. Oh, thank you. I hope you Greta fans here. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. I think um again it's like it's trying to take a quite a hard conceptual subject for small children, but make it accessible and open up those conversations about climate change and the environment and just small things. So at the back of the book there's um some there's a double page of ideas that you can incorporate into your day-to-day um, -day living and it ranges from you know doing recycling more and turning the lights out and uh, really simple things right through to writing to your local government and politicians and lobbying for change in the local community so I mean I did some school events on this last year for World Book Day and I was just amazed at the kids what they'd done just writing to their local councils and government to get simple changes you know bins changed in the local uh, you know trash cans i should say for you <laughs> the bin in the local park you know making their resources better and caring for their local community and i love the fact that it um it's the idea of working together i, I do seem to bang on about this a little bit but working together as a team as a community to evoke some change and I think in today's society, we're all, I'm definitely guilty of this, we're all guilty of being quite insular and, and, you know, we're staring at our phone all the time, we're kind of in our own world, we don't really look up enough and see the person next to us that might be doing something that's really positive and really making a difference. And if we can do that a little bit more and support each other, we can start to make bigger changes. I love you, Zoe Tucker. <laughs> awesome. 
This is so wonderful. That was a perfect way to end this. Okay, Thank I will you. send you the link when it's up. Thank you so, so, uh, so, so great. Much. Thank you for your time, Jackie. I hope you have a really lovely weekend. Oh my gosh, thank you for your time. I will. Right. Tomorrow is all podcasting day and releasing the beginning of season four. So lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Joey Tucker, everybody. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Want to donate directly to the show? You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support the Green Organic Garden podcast. It helps for thing pay for things like hosting the MP3 files, maintaining the website. It's super easy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening. And remember, grow local.